listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you wanna hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. We're going to continue our uh, episode about me being a, a midwife, which is about <laughs> just about goal setting. It's about make birthing a new you. And uh, last episode was one of our most uh, mystical episodes to date. This episode's going to be one of our most practical episodes to date. This, the tactics contained within this, had a game-changing effect. Uh, seriously. Uh, this is the tool I use to double the listenership of the podcast and double my Instagram following last year. So it's good stuff. Let's do it. Becoming a new you is no easy task. You need a friend to help guide you. In this series, Dr. Pizza, the midwife, is here to help you give birth to a new you. Can you feel it? Time has never been more ripe for conceiving a new you. Your spirit is ovulating. Get ready to push out a new beginning. Call the midwife, Dr. Pizza. So this is the Call the Midwife, Dr. Pizza series. We talked about birthing a new vision, conceiving of what a new you would look like in episode one. This is episode two, where we're going to talk about the new you birth plan. 
which, which is just about creating an objective, creating a plan of action, and creating a timeline for that action and the power of doing so. Now, if you've ever tried to plan for your creative career, you may have found it to be kind of unnatural. Have you ever, like for some reason for me, especially early on, trying to not just go with the flow, but to make things happen, to make waves in my creative career when I was trying to, you know, set an objective, get strategic, create goals, create an action plan, and then enact it with discipline and focus. Like there's just something about it that felt forced to me. And as a creative person, anything that feels unorganic or forced kind of comes with this natural level of creative resistance. We're like, whoa, man, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like the creative juices. Actually, I think I know why it doesn't feel like the creative juices because it's not the creative juices. I think the first reason as we go into this episode, we talk about planning. I want you to notice that your creative side might have a little resistance to this kind of thinking. And I think that's totally normal. It's as it should be. But I want you to please, if you have not flowed creatively flowed your way through the fallopian tubes into a new, <laughs> I don't think anybody, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know much about the anatomy of birth, but I don't think you, anybody's flowing through the fallopian tubes. Uh, I'm not really sure what they are, but uh, it's a fun word to say. That's for sure. I don't think, I don't think if you haven't thus far, gone with the flow straight into your wild creative career success. I want you to, if you, even if you have tried before, I want you to even more open yourself up to the power of business planning and realize that it's going to require a different part of your brain and a different way of interacting with life and that you're going to have to dance between business and creativity because they can't live in the same place at the same time in such a way that they work together for the greater good of your career. If you're not sat there listening to this podcast, polishing your gold-plated records and your uh, gold bars that you've earned making your creative work and you've... I'm guessing you don't listen to this podcast purely for entertainment. Surely there's some murder podcasts or some, uh, some gossip podcasts that you could be listening to for just pure entertainment. I'm guessing that you're listening to this because either creatively or financially, you're not exactly where you want to be. And if going with the flow has not worked so far, you can't just keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, and Bill Gates all said that that was the definition of insanity based on the internet. <laughs> uh, so why? Let's just talk about real quick. Let's just let's get to the bottom of this so we can deal with it before we get into actually planning. Why does business planning feels so unnatural for the creative person? Why does having a focus and, and enacting your will with discipline, why is that such a difficult pill to swallow? I think first of all, it's because creativity doesn't work like that. Creativity is something that flows through you. Like the creativity at its best 
is where you're in that flow state where you've put in the 10,000 hours or you put in the time to wire your subconscious in such a way that the music writes itself, that the story writes itself, that it's channeled through you in a way, right? And any striving, any stressing, any struggling to make that happen actually closes down that flow. And I think because we know that that's how good creative stuff works, we think that that's how our career is going to work. But in fact, business, I would argue, is a different, a, possibly a different hemisphere of the brain. It works in totally different parameters and that it it doesn't thrive under chaos. It thrives under order. It thrives under implementation, discipline, measuring. And there's probably a part of you that when you start working within that side of career that wants to reject and resist. And I would encourage you to lean in. Making a career is not the same as making a painting. And being strategic and having a clear end in mind actually has a lot of power for creating a plan. Having an end in mind when you're making a painting is often a good way to miss accidents and creative breakthroughs, right? Like creativity often works best when you don't know where it's going to go from the start. And that's where you get the most creative results. And so I think part of that resistance is probably because these are two different things. The second reason why I think we have resistance to planning and striving and, and struggling and working out things in a business way is because we're getting the wrong advice from the wrong people. Have you ever asked, have you ever, do you ever have something like, let's say you struggle with math or let's say, say you struggle with eating. This is even better. If, let's say you, you, uh, you've got a really, some really bad habits with your diet. You don't go ask somebody who, ha who finds it no struggle to eat perfectly all the time, doesn't even find it a temptation. They don't even, don't you just hate those people, by the way, that can just look at pizza and be like, too greasy for me. Does somebody have a napkin I can dab this? I like to take the cheese off before. <laughs> I really like my pizza to be uh, just a little tub of freshly squeezed marinara sauce. That's how I just drink it through a straw. <laughs> That's so disgusting. But the, have you met these freaking people? They don't even like food. Ugh. You don't ask that person, I'm struggling with food. How do you do it? And they're like, uh, you're an idiot. That's the starting point uh, who's naturally flawed. Like That's just going to discourage you, throw you deeper into the pit. No, you go with, to somebody who has had the same struggle as you and overcome it, right? Since we're talking on the uh, birth, <laughs> the, we're doing the birth metaphor, let's talk about pregnancy. Let's say you're struggling to get pregnant. You don't go to Michelle Duggar. She's the woman, she had a, uh, I think it was a TLC reality TV series about having 19 children. She can't help you with fertility. She doesn't have to try. She didn't have to learn anything. She's never struggled to break through. You ask her about it, she's going to act like you get in a, it's really easy, get enough fiber in your diet. Like, you know, all you need is a little gym bob. I take a little gym bob every, that's her husband. <laughs> take a little gym bob on a regular basis and bam, every nine months like clockwork, plop out another baby. Keeps me regular, gym bob. 
Jim Bob now sounds like it's some kind of supplement for pregnancy, like all those uh, weird commercials like Zeljans or Fiaspora, all these weird words. We're like, we've got so many medications these days, we have to invent the craziest, weirdest sounding words. And I imagine Jim Bob is a, take a little Jim Bob every day and bam, every nine months, you'll have a baby plopping out. Keeps you regular. Taking Jim Bob may result in a TV series on TLC with a series that could have multiple side effects, like multiple spinoffs from various programs. Talking, taking Jim Bob could result in psychosis, resulting in naming every single one of your children with the, with names starting with the letter J. <laughs> every one of their 19 kids' names starts with J. If you don't know, that's what that reference is. Uh, but you don't ask Michelle Duggar how to get pregnant if you're struggling to get pregnant. But yet, and yet... We constantly ask the exceptions to the rule for the rules on being the exception. We constantly ask the superstar. We ask the lottery winner, how did you amass such a fortune? Tell us your tips and tricks. No, they can't help you. We ask the super viral success that, that sh shot to skyrocketed fame because they're grossly talented and they put a YouTube video up and it went viral overnight. And ever since then, they've just went, they've flowed. Go with the flow from success to success to success. And we, we, we say, we're struggling to have a breakthrough. How do you do it? Well, they've never struggled to break through. So they can't tell you how to do it. And that's where we get this kind of advice that's superstitious and, and mystic, overly mystical. That's something like, well, uh, you just need to be yourself, which basically that advice is, have you tried existing? That's always worked for me thus far. Maybe you're not existing hard enough. <laughs> and so I think we ask those anomalies, those exceptions to the rule. What's the rule to being the exception? But that's an oxymoron. And you're a moron for... <laughs> <laughs> You're not a moron. I love you. I'm sorry for calling you a moron. It was just a wordplay thing. Got carried away. So, but I, but I do think that we, we talk to the, the uber super successful people that never struggled, never had to overcome what their secrets are, and they can't help you if you're struggling and you have things to overcome. Does that make sense? And I think when, here's the thing, if you get in a little fender bender or if you win the lottery or whatever it is, if for some reason, fate, chaos, randomness, plops in your lap something, our brains are meaning-making machines and we want to give a meaning to it. We want to say it's because we, we, uh, we, wrong, we wore the wrong pair of socks or we ate boiled eggs that day and we, tr we come up with these superstitious routines and these ideas. You know, the people that are super successful that just flowed into it and didn't make it happen, their brains are desperate to explain why they deserve it explain what they did to make it work. And that's where we get, well, I, which pen did you use? Which sketchbook are you using? Like there's got, what is it? Something. But not everybody can be explained to rational results. Some people are lucky. Some people are just ultra talented and they can't help you if you're struggling. And so what you have to look at are the people that have had built moderate success on top of moderate success into a thriving creative career into a, uh, and the people that have done that have done that through good business through not just going with the flow, but making waves. 
And in this episode, I want to tell you how uh, I've recently, even just last year, I was organically building up my Instagram following, organically building up my podcast listenership and going, kind of going with the flow. And last year I stopped and I used some business principles to double both of those followings in a pretty short period of time. And I'm going to tell you what I did. So I'm going to give you some practices from the book, Measure What Matters. And then we're going to talk about a little bit about another book. But the first thing, so in Measure What Matters, that book is basically about, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes, that basically is about having objectives and key results. First, we're going to talk about objectives. That's the first thing you got to do is you have to have a clear objective. Now, before we get into exactly what that means, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to I'm going to be Andy J. Pizza Mystic and read your mind. I want you to think about what you wanted for 2018. And I'm guessing that I know what it is you wanted. You wanted progress, right? Like everybody wants progress. Nobody doesn't want progress. But I think the problem is that I knew what you wanted as much as you did. Because progress, wanting progress, is a vague desire. It's not very clear. And there's a lot of problems with having vague desires when it comes to systematic growth. Like, here's the problem with vague desires. Number one is that it's really hard to take action on. Like I'm guessing, every, like you knew you wanted creative career growth, but if you couldn't name what it was, you couldn't say what actions you could take to get to it. You probably wanted a bunch of different things with no particular hierarchy, and therefore you went about your career just kind of going with the flow. The second problem with vague progress, vague objectives, is that they're uncelebratable. I don't think that's a word, but you get it. Here's the thing. If you had had clear objectives last year, you would be sure how much progress you made on them. But because if, if your intention, if your objective is just progress, you don't know if you made progress or not. It's like losing weight. If you said, I want to lose weight this year, even if you do lose weight this year, you don't know whether to celebrate or not because you weren't clear you need to say, I want to lose 10 pounds. And then if you lose eight, you can still celebrate. But just wanting to lose weight, it's not enough. It's not clear enough to know what type of actions you need to take. How, how, how much do you need to change? How, how, what are the key results? How do you measure it? And you don't know whether you did it, right? So if you have vague intentions, you will drift. You'll just with no clarity on where you're going or what you're trying to do or any clear steps to get to it, you're just going to kind of go from the next thing to the next thing. And, it, and, you, and you're going to, you know, everything that's in front of you, everything that flows towards you, whether you say yes or no to it is probably whether it kind of fits your vague intentions. But vague, vague intentions can get a bunch of results that you're not super thrilled with, about. Now, I didn't have a huge, I had a long period of dating time, uh, <laughs> Meaning, I dated for a long time before I met my soulmate, Sophie. 
<laughs> and the and now you might think that's weird because Sophie and I got married when we were in our very early 20s, but I started dating when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I had a girlfriend in kindergarten. I actually had three girlfriends at the same time in first grade. Suffice it to say, yes, I do have mommy issues. And, uh, and that meant that I knew that I wanted a female in my life from a very early age. And I had a, that was my vague intention, is I, I want a girl. I, want, I, I need somebody. And that need was so big that I, I would basically think anybody will do because I just have to have something. And I think when you have those vague intentions, you'll settle for pretty much anything. And actually, I because all I knew was that I wanted someone, I just kind of went from one person to the next person. I didn't spend hardly any time from ages six. This, this is a very personal, weird story. From ages six to 18, I had a girlfriend and uh, they were probably, you know, 35 different girls. <laughs> and it, and, and at, at that point, I had got my, bro, my heart broken. Actually, three of those girls, this is so ridiculous, giving you so much weird insight to my childhood. Uh, three of those girls cheated on me in my older years of my dating, and they broke my heart. And at some point, I said, enough is enough. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not drifting anymore. And maybe you're feeling like that in your creative career. Enough is enough. The old creative career path has broken your heart too many times. And don't give up. Don't just say, I, I can't love again. It's too hard. No. Quit drifting from one person to the next and say, I don't, didn't get more intentional about that. And that when I was 18 and I'd had enough, I decided to say, not just have a vague intention, who do I want to, do I want to be with somebody or not, but what type of person am I looking for? and stay available until I find that person. And this might sound a little bit strange, but I made a list. I made a list of these are the five things, the qualities that I'm looking for in another person, in a partner, in a friend and soulmate. <laughs> this series is weird. And I stayed available. For the first two years of college, I didn't date anyone. Why? Because when I would meet somebody that could possibly f fill the role of being with me, I pretty clearly saw that none of the people that I met had any of the qualities that I was looking for. And just to make it real Hollywood, right when I was ready to give in and be like, you know what, maybe there's just nobody for me and I'll, I'll just be single forever. That's the time where a girl from Wakefield, a, a Wakefield lass, took a shift at the Uptown Subway store where I worked, and that's when I saw her. <laughs> we both reached for the cold cuts at the same time. Our hands touched, and we locked into each other's eyes as the meatballs dinged in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. I hope Sophie never listened to this. She'll definitely not let me publish this. Um, but when I met Sophie, I went head over heels within two dates. I told uh, all of my friends, I'm marrying this person. She's everything and more that I've been looking for. And I wouldn't have saw her if I was deep in another relationship with somebody who was a bad fit. 
And that's the power of of uh, clear intentions. And not only that, but if on the topic of fertility, we've got three children. I don't know how it's relevant, but there's some kind of connection there. So, <laughs> all right. So what you got to do, the first thing you got to do to measure what matters like they do in the book is to have a really clear objective. What is something that... Uh, do, one of the things that we'll do is we run into 10 different directions at the same time, right? We tried it. We have all of these things and we have FOMO and we're like, we got to get it done. I want to do this book and I want to do that podcast and I want to have this client. I want to, you know, all these different things. We run in a million different directions with no clear objective that we can actually make some progress on. And what I would recommend doing is what they talk about in the book, The One Thing, is don't think about all these 10 things as separate things that you need to attack and run in 10 different directions, but see them more as dominoes. Which of these things that by doing it, everything else, all the other dominoes either get knocked over or become easier to knock over? And so last year, I thought, if I can double the listenership of my podcast... It will change the margins in terms of the, how much we get per sponsor and how many people hear our stuff, how many you know people can buy our products. Like Everything changes in my life, and I will have more margin to do everything else, and I will have more leverage to do the books that I want to do. Like every This domino, if I can double the listenership of the podcast, everything else will be easier or be finished. And so the first thing you got to do is create a very clear intention. It doesn't have to be the only thing you want to do this year. It doesn't have to be the only thing that you want your career to be about. It just needs to be the next right thing. I was listening to an interview with Liz Gilbert, uh, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love, and I guess I'm just injecting a little mysticism into this talk since it's so pragmatic. Uh, but she talks about like the, the, the only thing you have to do at any given moment is to determine what's the next right thing and then have the courage to do it. Like that's all that life is, is you don't have to know how it's all going to work out. You don't have to know, you know, where it's all going to lead you. And you don't have to know if it's going to accomplish the other 10 things that you hope to do one day. You have to identify the season you're in now, figure out what that, get really quiet and clear about what's the next right thing that I have to have to do and then have the courage to give everything to it. That's the first step, get the objective. Step two is key actions. I'm gonna switch up the advice from measure what matters. They talk about OKRs, which is objectives and key results, but I'm going to call it key actions. Key results means like showing, like measuring the outcomes. So for the podcast, it would be measuring the increase, let's say week by week, how many, how many more listeners we got that week. That would be key results. But I actually find it more powerful to not measure what's out of my control, but to measure what's in my control. What are the key actions I can take? What can I identify as what are the things that move the needle most? Whether you're trying to get a book deal, uh, a record deal, trying to get new followers, trying to get new clients, whatever it is, a particular client, whatever it is you're trying to do, 
uh, you can find, you can identify the most powerful action at your disposal and commit to a an amount or a number or an effort of doing that key action. So this kind of comes from the idea of the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule, if you're not familiar with it, means that 80% of your result is often due to 20% of your efforts, meaning 100% of your efforts aren't that effective. Like certain things you do are way more effective than other things you do. And the idea is to eliminate the ineffective efforts and focus in on the really effective efforts. Let's say that you send out postcards, potential clients. Well, let's say the ones that you send to magazines are 80% more effective than the ones you send to advertising agencies. So maybe double down on the postcards you send to magazine and focus all of your effort there. That's how you find your key action. So for me personally, when I was trying to grow the podcast, I I had a bunch of different ideas on how to grow it. You know, having different guests, you you know, using guests as a way to spread the word, using ads, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, features from other sites or blogs or what have you, and then also guesting on other people's show shows. So over the years, I learned that pretty much all of those don't work. (laughs) The one thing that does work, the one thing that does increase listeners to this podcast consistently became my key action, and that's guesting on other people's shows, other podcasts. Now, the fact of the matter is the most effective action is also one of the hardest to do, which just means doubling down all of my energy on that is even more important. So what you got to do is think back to the biggest breakthroughs you've ever had, whether they were hard to get, hard to orchestrate, whatever, it doesn't matter. Make a list of the things that changed everything for you. The times where you're, the thing that you're trying to do happened the most. And if you haven't had those kind of breakthroughs yet, there's another tactic you can use. Before I had actually found any tactics that really resulted in explosive growth, what I just did was I obsessively studied other podcasts that had consistently grown. Not the exceptions to the rules, but the people that played by the rules and won. What were their rules? What were their key actions? And one of the breakthroughs happened where I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk talk about growing his podcast. And he said, the number one thing he does is, and he said, if you have a podcast, go make it a ridiculous priority to get on as many podcasts as you can. Now, that that combined with my own history resulted in me realizing that I needed to double my podcast listenership, get it on as many podcasts my size or bigger as possible, which meant I created a number of the amount, not of the amount, not the key results, not the amount of podcasts that I needed to be on but I created a number of how many key actions I was going to take. I said, I'm going to email 50 podcasts that are a good fit, and I'm going to give them time and intention. I'm going to give them all of the effort, since this is where most of my results come from. I'm not going to just send out a blast to 50 people at one time. Over weeks, I'm going to study and tailor emails to these people and give it my best effort. And... 
it had an explosive result. So if you haven't had the breakthroughs, you've never had a breakthrough, then you need to go study people who have consistently and go listen to interviews with them. Go read their biographies, go read their, uh, you know, go listen to podcasts where people are interviewing them, whatever it is, go study them obsessively and find what are their key turning points? What are their key results? And then what actions can you take to get them that will push the needle forward towards your objective? And if you've already had those breakthroughs, I solidify with the 80-20 rule, which of those things that I've done, which of my efforts get the max results, eliminate all of the other efforts. to do is have a timeline. So did you know that in 12 weeks of pregnancy that you basically have like a little human in there? You can see the, like if you see an x-ray of this or an ultrasound, that it looks like a baby already in like 12 weeks. Uh, <laughs> like the human body can do incredible things. The human, a human can do incredible things in 12 weeks. There's this book called The 12-Week Year, and it basically recommends quit doing year-long goals and instead shrink those timelines down to 12 weeks. There's a quote, it's attributed to Bill Gates, but they don't really know who said it. And it's basically, we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. I don't know about you, but often my year-long goals are kind of like a time capsule. They're not actually that helpful. They're not anything I systematically implement. I don't like take it step by step, keep my eye on the ball and make it happen. I'm more like in January, right on my phone. I'd like that to happen this year, that happen and that happen. And the next time I look at it is when I'm goal setting the following year. And it's just like you dig up the time capsule like, huh, yeah, I didn't do that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't actually, goal setting like that doesn't actually help you. It doesn't do anything for you. What I found to be tremendously helpful was to shrink that timeline down to 12 weeks like they recommend in the 12-week year. And because it's a manageable amount of time and it's a short period of time, you actually have to take action right now. And there's this thing called Parkinson's law that says an activity will take as long as the amount of time you allow it to. So I don't know if you ever get a project and the deadline's like six months and you do it in the same amount of time that you, you, you take six months to complete it. You don't finish it until the last minute and you could do the exact same project in two weeks if that's all you had and get possibly better results. Well, the same goes for your goals. And so last year, when I wanted to double the podcast listenership, all of the effort that I did, all of the key actions, everything that I did, I did within the first 12 weeks. All of the wheels were in motion. Everything to complete that. And the reason we did double our listenership in 2018 was all due to efforts that I did, key actions I did in the first 12 weeks. And so the next thing I recommend you do is you look three months out and you take that objective and you put it at the end of that three months and then you reverse engineer a strategy of key actions. What do you need to do in the third month? Then what do you need to do in the second month? What do you need to do in the the month you're in? And then start 
trudging away. If you treat it that way, it will become more manageable and more likely that you actually accomplish it and don't treat your goal like a time capsule. So what's stopping you from creating a clear objective, figuring out your key actions, creating a timeline? I think one of the things that stops us more than anything is that we don't really know what we want and we know that we don't know what we want. If I say, what do you want? You might like, I don't really know. I know, kind of this, maybe that. No, I don't know. But like, I know for a fact that my objective for this year, I'm not sure 100% if it's the exact right domino. I don't even know if I get it, whether that's what it'll, it'll be what I want. Like, and I'm sure of that. And because of that, we'd rather do FOMO and feel like we're always missing out or feel like we should, you know, not really put all our, stack all of our cards in that deck and uh, put all our chips on that table, so to speak, right? And so rather we would just drift or we'd rather take no action at all than take the wrong one. And we're like these people, these hermits in our house obsessively planning the trip that we're going to take one day if we can just if we can just decide whether it's going to be Florida or California. Like when, when everything's just so perfect and we know that that's the exact right place to go, then we'll create the objective. Then we'll take the key actions. But the truth is, one of the reasons you don't know if it is what you want is because you're so far away from it. It's just too fuzzy. Sometimes the only way to know if it is what you want is to get closer to it, is to take some action, step towards it and see, is that the thing that I want? Earlier, I talked about how uh, Sophie took a shift at my subway and because she worked at a subway across town. And that's when we met and fell in love and all that good stuff. But the truth is, that's not exactly how it went down. You know, years before, two years before, there was a inter-subway chain sandwich off, sandwich making competition. Who could make the fastest sandwich and you got a subway bike? Nobody wants to ride around town with a bike that has a subway logo on it, but that's what you won. And it was in that, this was my first year of college. I saw her walk into that sandwich store. She piqued my interest. I thought, could it be? Could she be the one? There was just a vibe. There's just, she had the vibe that I was looking for. She looked intelligent. She looked interesting. She looked like she had her own style and opinions. And that's the kind of thing I was looking for. Someone this fully formed personal humanity, her own art, her own thoughts. And I wanted someone who would be a partner. And I just could, I just got this sense from her and I thought about asking her, I thought about stepping towards her, but I didn't know, is that right? I don't have enough to know whether she's the one just by looking at her. So I didn't do anything. And guess what? I didn't find out whether she was the one that year. And in fact, I didn't see her again until the following year when I took a shift at her store and we passed like ships in the night. She was going from the day shift. I was coming in for the night shift. We talked for maybe 15 seconds. And again, I had a, I stepped a little bit closer this time 
And even then I felt like, hmm, maybe some sparks could fly. But I was I was too afraid to take action. I didn't know. I was too, I was like, who knows if this person's the right one? I can't risk taking key actions towards this objective. <laughs> and goodness gracious, I'm glad for the grace of the universe that a year later she took a shift at our store. And this time we got a few shifts together and I started putting the vibes out there and I started getting closer. We went for coffee just after a shift. No big deal. Another step closer to see, in fact, was this a thing? And guess what? As I got closer, guess what I found out? It wasn't the thing that I wanted. You know why? Because she's not a thing. She's not a thing that fits in a tidy list of five objectives. She's a full person. When I got closer and I said yes to taking some action, I found out that Sophie was not the thing that I wanted. She was so much more, of course, because she's not a thing. She's a person. Her humanity, her personality, her worldview, her ideas, her, her wholeness could not fit within this list. And hopefully the thing that you're going for in your creative career is so much more than objective, so much deeper of a resonance within you than something that you could list out in an afternoon. But don't let that stop you from wanting something, from ta for taking action, from getting closer to it to see, is this the thing that I want? I'm going to tell you this right now. Sophie was so many things that I was looking for, but she was a lot of things that I had didn't even know about. And that's true. Like so many people that end up in their dream job are jobs they didn't even know existed when they started out. Podcasting wasn't even a thing when I left high school. Couldn't possibly have known. And I couldn't have possibly been in the position to do it had I not been charting territory, making objectives, taking key actions. Sophie was so much more than I'd bargained for, and it scared me a little bit. She had bigger worldview than me. She, had, she was more cultured than me. She was more intelligent than me. And all this, these things, kind of like, I was like, oh, I don't know. She's, she is something else, like a ball of fire. But I stepped into it. And I can tell you right now today that so much of the things that I'm proud to be so much, so much of who I am today is a result of stepping into that relationship. All of those things that scared me initially impacted me, changed me, and made me into the person I am today. This is not uh, propaganda. This is the truth. I am so proud to have a large worldview, to have a bigger cultural understanding and so much of that stuff has to do with my relationship with Sophie. She fundamentally changed me. She was everything I wanted, a bunch of things I couldn't possibly have known that I wanted without getting a little bit closer. I told you this was the 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 <laughs> the midwife series. We went on to have three children. Um okay, it's getting weird. Don't let your uncertainty about knowing exactly what you want or if it's the exact thing you want stop you from getting some skin in the game 
taking some key actions and getting a little bit closer to the place you want to be. Okay, that's another episode. Thank you for listening. I hope this is impactful. This, These ideas uh, dramatically changed my creative career last year. And uh, I hope that this kind of clarity in your approach to your desires and objectives will create some real results. Okay. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the show and providing the soundtrack. Thanks to Ben Worley at Subtumble on Instagram and Twitter for providing our Call the Midwife series theme tune. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>